What's up guys, Owen Chambers here from The Professional Builder. Now, we've got a treat for you today, bit of behind the scenes. Last year, we recorded with about 60 of our members a roundtable discussion on how to deal with material price rises and labor shortages and all the shit that was going on at the time. Now, it's very relevant still today for a couple of reasons. One, these are just business conditions. These are not business challenges. There's always going to be issues with price rises, material delays, labor shortages, all the stuff that goes with running a residential building company. So the challenges are always relevant. They're always present and the solutions are still important. That's why we're going to be re-releasing it just after this. The second reason that we're re-releasing it is because uh, it gives you a kind of a behind the scenes glimpse into how we run some of our discussions and round tables. We bring in industry experts, we make sure that we've got the right people in the room and that you can learn from them and that you have the ability to ask questions of them so that you can get really specific detailed answers from them. Uh, and you can hear what they're up to as well and how they're handling the challenges. Uh, and then the third reason that we're gonna release it is because honestly, um, Marty was away, I was sick, and we uh, are behind schedule on our on our on our recording on our recording schedule, which means that uh, we need to bring something back from the archives. So enjoy, here's to your success. Please let us know what you'd like to hear from next. We're considering bringing on some new guests and some other people to share their insights and their learnings with you. Let us know what you want to learn about and uh, who you want to be connected with on this podcast. We've got a big list of people that we want to bring on, and uh, you know. We're going to tackle that list based on the feedback we get from you. Here's to helping great builders build great businesses. We'll catch you next time. You either win me or win, 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 win. Yeah. everything else. So thanks for coming in today, fellas. If you just give us a uh, one-minute intro, uh, we'll start with Chris on what you see is happening uh, in the market uh, at the moment. Uh, and just a little, little bit of a synopsis about yourself, and then we'll get into the questions. Thanks, Marty. So I, uh, I run uh, four placemaker branches in Auckland. We uh, turn over about a quarter of a billion dollars, 250 mil. We deal with most of the largest, uh, both commercial, residential, small to medium builders. And look, it's no surprise the market's pretty grim. Uh, we spoke to James Hardy yesterday. Uh, linear is out 40 weeks if you're looking to buy linear uh, from, a, from a supply point of view, from my point of view. Timber weatherboard out 18 weeks, you can't get ceiling patterns for love nor money, uh, and on it goes. And none of those things will be surprise, uh, of a surprise to you, but this is uh, going on for us, for our builders, probably for the last, I guess, three to four months. And our expectation is this won't uh, get any better until March, uh, at least March next year. We're speaking to the suppliers around what they're doing. They've got um, the timber merchants. We've normally carry $3 million worth of timber on one of our sites at any one time. And last week we had $100,000 worth of timber. So that probably gives you an idea of, uh, of how dire and how grim uh, things might be uh, for, for us being the largest uh, in the country. So that's a bit of a snapshot from me, Matty. Awesome. Thanks very much, Chris. All right, Russ. Yeah, yeah, Russell Clark. I've got a renovation company based in Auckland and, and um, got uh, 10 builders, just a small little company, myself, Peter, my QS. And, uh, and our, our guys, um, yeah, I think the challenge exactly exactly that is getting materials, but it's, it's, it's it is a challenge that can be overcome or somewhat. We've always had challenges, you know, and, and, and our usual challenge is we have no work. Now, now we've got plenty of work, we've just got nothing to do, but we can't build it. So that's probably the challenge at the moment. But, um, you know, with some good forward planning, we're going to talk about that later on in our chat, um, how we can, you know, make things easier. Yeah, just being, being well-organised, well-planned, well but we've, um, we've, 
there's so many inquiries coming in. You know, it's just every day I'm getting three or four or five inquiries coming in. So certainly we're, we're building and it's really hard to turn work down, you know, and, and we're turning it, turning it down because we've got labour shortages as well, not just materials shortages and skilled labour shortages. So um, yeah, we'll have a chat about that as well. But yeah, that, that's Russell Licence Renovations. Awesome. Thanks, Russ. All right. And Zane. Thanks, Marty. Yeah, as it's already been said, uh, it is definitely a big issue. So we've obviously got ZB Homes here in the Waikato of New Zealand and BOP in the Bay of Plenty. And there is big issues, obviously. Uh, we specialise in house land packages. So when we've pre-sold a lot of these to de-risk subdivisions, we're then caught, you, well, you think you're clever because you've sold all these properties, but then all of a sudden you're caught with these price rises and yeah so that is definitely an issue for us uh, but there's ways we are trying to mitigate that so we can talk about more of those but it is a definite big issue out there for everyone involved so no it's good to uh, chat about it and try and come up with some smart uh, processes really yeah 100% thanks Zane and that's why I got the, you guys together was I wanted different aspects across renos new builds uh, different size companies, and also from a merchant and supply point of view. So our goal today is to get as specific as possible and to give you guys as much opportunity to ask any and all questions. Um, we're going to go through everything from ordering to pricing to maintaining margins to client communication to scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. And type in, if you've got any questions whatsoever for the guys um, or myself, type them into the box uh, and I'll unmute you as we go. So why are these happening and what are the key key products being uh, affected? Chris, I guess you're the best person on this. Like, Why is this happening and what are the key materials being influenced? Yeah, I think there's a few things at play, Marty. I think the perception is that the, the volume... Uh, is stagnant and, and uh, you know we're seeing the likes of um, our timber supply, uh, James Hardy products etc, we're selling probably 30% more than we have been previously but the demand for that product is probably 60 or 70% so I think the perception out there is that there's, a, there's issues with supply, um, there's actually issues with demand uh, in all honesty, uh, the demand is just is, is outstripping what we can, uh, we can get our hands on. Um, so where are we seeing the problems? We're seeing the problems in all the areas that the guys, I'm sure, are seeing it um, across those core, those core lines, timber, weatherboards. Um, but you know, sh shipping clearly is an issue from uh, overseas. If we're trying to get product in from overseas, it just takes uh, imminently longer to, to, to do that as well. Um, and even local uh, local freight, you know, we are now trying to, so we placemakers run a fleet in Auckland of, uh, of 40, uh, 40 trucks, their own trucks. Uh, we're running at about 60 trucks at the moment. So we're using 23 PL trucks. We can't get any more trucks to deliver product, even if we had that product uh, to get to market. So you've got issues around um, you know, uh, resource, uh, internal resource. You've got issues around um, uh, product coming from offshore and we've just got demand issues. So um, is it going to get better yet? Yeah, well, it will get better. Thanks, Chris. David, David from Hanma is a, um, a devout placemakers member. He's got a question for you, my man. David? Uh, let me, uh, sorry, yeah. Um, Chris, I've just got a question for you, mate. We've been told by Placemakers Christchurch that we can expect to see our linear stock on the 8th of August. Um, is this going to be correct 
around the country or will and, and is there going to be a logistics delay as well getting it around the country yeah look a good question i think i think my point around the 40 week issue is that if i order that stock today from supplier it'll take 40 weeks we've obviously got stock on hand uh, and in in branches so i would expect your stock will be probably there or thereabouts the only issue that's going to hold that up is you know uh, is this going to be the freight the freight component and certainly in auckland and perhaps in the bigger cities the bigger challenges around um uh, the allocation of stock. Most of our account managers these days uh, are trying to pretend that they're um, inventory people and they, they'll see that linear stock in the corner of the um, uh, of the warehouse and think, shit, I, I, I need to get that to um, my, my, my great customer, David, because he's, I promised him that two months ago, uh, even if that stock was designed for, for Zane, but we'll sort Zane out in, um, yeah. uh, next week. And so you trade, you're horse trading all the time, and I think that's what's catching a lot of the merchants out. Is we've never been, uh, we've never been hand to mouth before. We've always ordered as we needed to, but now we're actually having to be inventory controllers, and that's causing the biggest problem for for merchants. Is that we're trying to, we're trying to hold stock until the um, the eighth of August, um, but between now and then, we've got demand uh, by another hundred people. So we we flip it out and hope by the eighth of August your stock turns up in time. And unfortunately, typically. It doesn't, and that's what blows things out. Yeah, thanks, mate. And Chris, we've got a we've got conflicting or differing, uh, I guess, uh, opinions from Australia. What's happening doesn't seem as bad here in Sydney, Aussie. We're looking twelve weeks for structural timbers, but then Peter is saying that uh, I think Peter's in Melbourne that people are walking into yards and offering double the dollars to get to the head of the queue for timber and trusses. Surely yeah. no merchant would take backhanders like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, and it's different perhaps uh, in, in Aussie than it is to, in New Zealand. Uh, our bigger challenge is, and it's not that people aren't trying to bribe so much. It's just that they're trying to use their relationships to, um, don't you know how, you know, Zane's a big player down in his neck of the woods and we wouldn't like to see him upset. So we tend to have to try to look after those who are, are important to our business. And I think that's the bigger challenge is how do you start, um, how do you make sure that you're, in the queue and you know like um david was asked well how, how does he make sure that he's important enough in his business uh to, to, to my business that he's going to get that stock ahead of zane and that's the challenge you've actually got little it's not so much um bribery it's um just sort of making sure that you're positioned um if bribery is all you've got you, you won't certainly get it from from me that's for sure well, i think that's a valid point um i think it is tough maybe on the smaller guys in the game but i think there's ways they can do it either if there's enough guys in a smaller town or community or area they should bandy together if they all do need five pallets of linear each get together with another five or ten guys and go and order you know a, a good sized order so they are at a level that is you know get makes the merchants step up and respect that and then the other thing is maybe piggyback off some of the bigger boys. I mean, if I had a younger guy that's just gone out on his own, got his first job, and then all of a sudden he's got no work because he's got no materials, if he came in my front door and said, mate, can you help me out? I think I just would. So I think the key is communicating with people, obviously the merchants for one, um, and maybe go and talk to some other guys in your town and say, hey, would you just hook us up, please? That's something potentially we could engineer with we've got over 500 members and it's something that we could potentially you know approach um if that is you know uh worth 
looking at? From a merchant point of view, I mean, all I can say is there's a few things that um, we're trying not to do right now. We're trying not to open up any new accounts, and it seems bizarre. Uh, again, being the largest uh, in New Zealand, and we would obviously want to grow, but we don't want any more customers because we can't service our existing customers. So nice as it would be for you to bring me a whole bunch of new customers, not right now, thanks. Um, we'll wait <clears throat> for, for later on. Is it maybe not new customers? It's piggybacking on one key customer's order and then you know five or six other people join up on Zane's order or David's order. Yeah, look, it could be. I think for me, again, it's it's about that loyalty. I um, we want to make sure that we're supplying uh, all your product on your job. Uh, if you want to come and uh, hand pick uh, the. Uh, weatherboard or timber etc um you're probably not going to get that from us as a one-off we, we we're dealing with yeah we and we have relationship we know who um our guys and girls are we deal with them day in and day out so um and i, and I know your job too so i know that zane uh isn't doesn't need um 10 packs of uh, of linear and so i'm probably even though i love him um i'm not going to give it to him because i know that's actually not what he needs so i think we're still in that real tricky situation um from a merchant point of view uh, it's odd. Uh, we don't need to supply um, more. We just need to supply those who, um, who who have been loyal to us for you know for the last number of years. Sure. I think that's a, that's the key. You know that loyalty. You know I know for myself that loyalty has held me in good stead over the years, and not just with your suppliers, also with your 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 um, subcontractors. You know your electricians, your plumbers, and all those people because they're in hot demand as well, and and. Because your materials are, are hard to get, or we look waiting for some, um, yeah, the time frames can be long. Your your critical path on your building with your suppliers and your decision making by your clients is absolutely is really key. So having your loyalty for your suppliers, but also for your subcontractors, is is massive as well. You know, for the whole you know for the whole progress. You know, the whole the whole the whole job. Are there any alternate like are people looking at like timber's a massive problem? Are people considering steel framing? or it's come up to quick and they've already got their plans and houses and the architects that they're currently working with, like are people looking at alternative options? Definitely for claddings. We mm -hmm. are with, uh, with our LVL timber, morning guys, uh, LVLs are basically non impossible to come by. And so we're now having to double up our MGP, so we call it MGP 10 material over here, bolt it, bugle it, all that sort of thing. So the timber framing calculator guys are really um, having to work triple overtime to get all the, to make all the changes from LVL, maybe throwing some um, RHS in there and bolting all that together and making that span, you know, it's clients are open to that because it, it, sometimes it's saving them some money. So that's some, some fairly decent money. Our whole focus here is what can we to come up with potential <coughs> and we've got, 48 people on the line at the moment so I'd just like to work through each one of these one by one and if anyone has any bright ideas or specific strategies um, we'll, can you type it into the chat box and then we'll open up like what's working well so ordering what are you guys doing to deal with ordering given that you know you know we'll start with russ what what specifically are you doing ordering wise to combat this I've um, been looking at this with my merchant quite deeply because we've been running Gantt charts for a long time. So we're able to, it was easy initially to shift to ordering things earlier because we already knew what we needed and when we needed it. 
I asked them a question one day and I said, look, if I order something in January and I want it in August, um, and then somebody else orders the same thing in February, but they want it in July, if it's there in July and you're worried about supply, are they going to get it or is it going to sit on a shelf and wait for me, given I ordered it before then? And he said, well, you know, and as I expected, he said, we just don't have the warehouse space and the ability to actually store stuff um, for durations like that. So he said, the reality is they'd get it first and then we'd hope that yours turned up in time. So what that told me is that being organised and ordering things well in advance doesn't actually necessarily help. Um, so what I've done is I've arranged storage um, uh, through a variety of different ways. Ah, awesome. And now I'm just ordering everything and saying I want it as soon as I can have it. And then uh, when I get it, I'll store it. And, you know, if things are nice, I'll be getting it before I need it. Uh, what are you doing for storage, Richard? Have you got a, a unit, someone's yard or? Um, well, one of my clients has a factory uh, in town um, about a 10 minute drive from his house. So that one was easy. I just told him, look, you know, best way to ensure continuity of your job, you shuffle some stuff around in your factory, make some space, and we'll store your house there while we put it together. Awesome. He was fine with that. Um, another client, they've got a friend with a, a warehouse off the side of their business in town as well, so they're going to talk to them. Um, but I'm also a little bit lucky. I'm on a lifestyle block, so I've got a. I might have to push my home gym to one side for a period of time and just stack stuff in there if I have to. So it's in, it's going to increase cartage and handling costs, but you know that's going to be pretty minor compared to you know having a job you know on hold for a month. Um, the other thing I'm doing is uh, we don't normally do small jobs, but. Um, I've put it out there to my network that I'm keen to take on some small jobs and I've picked up about four little projects that uh, people are happy to do whenever we're ready. Uh, so we've ordered the materials, we're kind of going to bank them at their house uh, so that if we go, all right, well this job's on hold for two weeks while we wait for, you know, an engineered mid-floor, um, then I can just call one of these people and say, you know, you call it for your place next week and we'll come and do that job. Um, so I've got, got a couple of those in the back pocket. Awesome, I love it. This is a classic situation like when COVID hit, if you focus on all the negatives and why it's shit and why you can't get, get things, things are going to be tough. If you go into solution mode and problem solving mode, then you're going to come up with a lot more options. And if you explore them, reach out to people who are doing them, then they become far more tangible and a realistic option for you. That was awesome. Thanks, Richard. Russ. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, you're doing a lot of the stuff that I'm actually doing myself. And um, I was at the master builders meeting yesterday and a, a few builders are exactly doing that, buying materials. Um, storing them off site to the jobs already. Um, yeah, also, I know um, materials are going up in price, so you can buy them now, pay the bills, and um, get them at today's rates as well, which has been really beneficial. Um, I start two big jobs in eight weeks' time, and we've already got the deposits from the clients. Um, they've paid for materials, so I'm not out of pocket. Um, we've managed to get some room on their particular jobs for, for some of the materials, and some of them are going to be in my warehouse, and I'll be charging them storage as well. So. Yeah, a lot of the clients just been communicating to the clients, you know, and 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 you, and they're more than happy, you know, um, awesome. most of the time to do that. And and once again, it's just communicating. And when you when you when you sign up for a contract or you sign up a deal, generally you're waiting for a, a, you know, a couple of months anyway before you start. Um, well, I know we are because we, we we will planned it. If you've got your pipeline full, you know your jobs are sort of ticking over, so it gives you plenty of time to know what you need. And, and like, if you do have to change, like Zane's saying, if you do have to maybe look at changing claddings and things like that, you've got plenty of time to, to do those things. And, you know, I've always been an advocate for little jobs. So we've, all, uh, for various reasons, just for a good cash flow and also for good training for my young apprentices. So having those smaller jobs in between now are proving really, really valuable, um, as you said, Richard, to actually be able to fill those gaps in, you know. Um, and, and then we've also got the other issue 
uh, up in Auckland in New Zealand is um, getting our inspections. So sometimes it's not just the materials or the, the stubbies, it's actually our council inspections. So having those smaller jobs to go to in between has, has been a real godsend. And, and, and we've just sort of at this stage um, continuing, you know, relatively um, stress-free. And exactly what Marty said, you know, with COVID, you just got to be, you know, think on your feet and, and we're in a good situation. And, um, you know, I'd rather have the situation we're in now than having too many guys and no work, you know, that, that's far worse for me. So yeah, but all, all good stuff, Richard. Thanks for that. Awesome. Matt or Zane, you guys got some- Yeah, I agree with Russ. What Russ is saying really is just the same as, same as what we're doing. But Marty, you're all about the numbers and forecasting from a business point of view. This is just another huge part of it now of forecasting what you need. And um, Russ just mentioned about buying materials now. And if the client, if you can use a client's money, fantastic. But the amount of letters we get every day, every week now about materials going up, if you've got the ability to go and talk to your bank manager and say, can we have a hundred grand facility, please? Um, if that's two, three, four percent, um, it's worth investing that money into materials if you can park it somewhere because each month they're going up 10%, mm. depending on what that is. So when your job kicks off, you are on the front foot. You've got your materials there. The client's happy. The clients understand the situation at the moment. They, they watch the news and read the papers too. So they understand what you're trying to do and trying to achieve for them. Um, so that's hugely important. And I meet with the uh, merchants every week, if not twice or three times a week at the moment, to say, right, guys, we've got this job been approved and signed off by the client let book stuff in so as long as you've got enough work on it's revolving um, you can just commit two jobs well ahead of time um, I had there's a young fella out of town he's got six guys and he's just gone out in business and the whole entire house that he was building was all timber floor so trying to get all the wide timber that he needed for that was just going to send him broke because he's going to wait two or three months for it um, so I think these opportunities with labor being such a shortage, you can pimp your boys out, keep the cash flow rolling in um, and just go for the ride and yeah, try and like you say, just find those solutions um, to survive. That's all we're doing. We're trying to survive from one job to the next at the moment. Um, what else we got? Yeah, I mean, I've offered to pay plumbing merchants, building merchants, sparkies, anyone do you want your money up front now? You get me my 30 and gas infinities, I'll pay for you for them now if that helps. Nine, uh, none of them have actually made me pay for anything up front, but it's just me letting them know that we're serious, that we do have this work in line, we do need that product. So please don't let the whole team down by us having to wait for the gas hot water to go on for the inspection or whatever. So. It is just communicating with these guys and so far it is okay. And yes, I do have plenty of linear weatherboard parked in a paddock. So yeah, but it is still going to be an issue moving forward. Where, um, it that really, really is. I've just got a question from Matt Moore. He was just asking where that paddock was, saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, <laughs> I've got my FPOS machine. We can, <laughs> there might be more money in just selling linear yeah, than there is in the houses at the moment. Yeah. Awesome. But the other thing, um, just a quick question from me and Chris, is it might be able to answer this? That there's a potential shortage in the treatment chemicals for treated timber. 
So I was just thinking guys that specialize in decking in the summertime, they should start ordering decking timber now because it is going to be absolute, you know, gold in a few months time when it's all Zane, I think I think someone mentioned on the on the chat that um <clears throat> materials like toilet paper I'd be a wee bit careful um so I, I just so I can confirm one of my good mates um close match owns red stag timber and I can tell you that there is no issues with the treatment uh with timber treatment so um oh great so, yeah so just um yeah don't be don't be too concerned I think that's the other thing I'd I'd caution is yeah you know, <clears throat> you've touched on it um Talk to the merchants often. Um, I think, and you know, regularly, the, the squeaky door gets the um, gets the oil. And certainly, if you've got those questions or concerns around um, that sort of stuff, just ask because we'll certainly tell you the truth. Uh, and I can say, so in that specific case, I can tell you there is no issue with uh, the treatment of uh, the, the uh, chemical treatment for timber. Great, that's good. The other thing, maybe Marty, um, is people's paperwork as well um, with clients. Uh, I guess most most of the guys, if they're certified builders or master builders, will have these cost fluctuation clauses. Um, so at some point, it's not a thing that we ever do is to charge a client for a cost fluctuation, but these are crazy times. So maybe that is a thing that will, will have to happen in the future. If someone's gonna make no margin, we might just have to pass that on. Um, yeah, like what happens if the builders, you know, it's five months away or more, you've locked in the contract at the prices now, but you don't pay for the timber till five months from now. Yeah. The price goes up significantly. Yeah, and that is a well, tough decision. Because you've got a reputation to withhold, which is not being the guy that you know does do that to clients. But you also need to make, cover your mind. It could margin. be a mindset thing, though, right? It's a terms of trade of business that you know you need to make. You, you need to survive. You need to make your profit margin to pay your overheads to pay you guys. And Marty, I think the challenge. I think the challenge we're having from a merchant point of view is typically our um, sort of inside uh, info. Our, our agreements with suppliers is we had a three-month window uh, for a price increase so typically if you're going to put a price increase through from a timber merchant point of view from a timber supplier point of view to us you'd have to give us three months notice we're now getting suppliers who are giving us uh, weekly uh, price increases they're not agreeing uh, they're not um, adhering to that three-month uh, window so I think it's more important now than ever because historically uh, you know Zane was touching before if, if he if he was having a contract with a with a customer we would be able to look after you for three months um now we can't because the timber increases are coming through thick and fast all the other prices coming through thick and fast so historically merchants were able to sort of i guess cushion uh cushion you from those price increases it's just not something we can do anymore um so it would be a, a an absolute necessity to make sure your paperwork is aligned with that because that's not going to stop anytime soon yeah, has so, anyone so, got a call? Sorry, Marty. Uh, yeah, sorry. so for me, um, it goes right back to your sales now. So when I'm talking, doing my sales to my client, you know, to trying to get a client, I'm talking about some of these issues um, and being, you know, transparent with it all. So when it comes to the contract, when it comes to a, a job where, you, where we've always had a fixed price, fixed price work, but now we're having to put it, we put a clause in our contract, we'll talk about that shortly, about prices going up. And exactly what you're saying, Zane, before about your plumber and your electrician, and other and other people's having have they got supplies as well? So it's about communicating that. So um, yeah, we know that our Sparky will, will will still stick to his supply price, his quoted price, um, because he has pre-ordered. He's got a garage full of wire, for example. So it's actually communicating with all these subbies as well. Um, 
we've had a situation just a few weeks ago where my with some floor sanding, uh, sorry, from floor laying, and, our, and our, actually our timber floor went up quite dramatically. But my supplier still um, his his urethane, his his you know his, his um, coating application, and his labour never changed. He stuck to his labour. He stuck to all the stuff he had, but he, he couldn't stick to his timber price. So it was quite easy for us to go back to our client and explain the situation, show them the prices, you know, and it was all part of the early stage, um, I suppose, sales process for, for us. Um, and, it, and it made it quite easy to put, to put that extra money on top, you know. And awesome. it's, uh, you talk about reputation, which is cool, but, you know, I've learned for many years that we're in business and um, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just out of your control. And we have to deal with that. But everything in our control, which was our labour, which was our urethane, all that sort of stuff, we can control. Um, but just those out of, you know, those materials prices, as you say, they go each week, and even our, our our merchants, it's out of their control too. The timber they buy, as you say, you're just getting prices going up left, right, and center. You have no idea when they're coming. So, um, as far as you know, preempting a, a client these days of hey, you may have these issues. It's it's just for me, it's part of the sales, and obviously then it becomes part of your clause and your contract. Yeah. But it's like Marty said, Marty, it, it is. It's actually mindset, you know, and. Um, yeah, I'm fine with that. Lloyd, you've got a, uh, from the um, lockdown capital of the world, the Sydney cluster. I think I saw you out roaming around in public just uh, earlier last week. Uh, you've got a, um, how are you dealing with it? Yeah, so um, uh, we don't have the big issue with cutting that LVL and um, framing tim is now becoming a problem here. But so steel is a big one. I don't know if uh, New Zealand's uh, facing that too. The steel prices are going up on a monthly a monthly review to get an increase so what we've done now is we structure our contracts and like russ is saying is that we explain it to the client at the start and it's part of our sales process and they know but we're giving them certainty on the labor component so we're, we'll put in a fixed price for the construction of the home and then we're saying hey but here's a provisional sum based on today's rates when we quoted your job for the timber and then we'll review this and we're just being transparent with them and showing them the original quote from the supplier versus a new quote to the supplier and it takes away that that fear that they're getting gouged by us as the builder. And then they understand from day one, as opposed to trying to come in at the 11th hour and tell them, oh, we've got our house on this. So. Awesome, awesome, thanks bud. Uh, Matt Moore, communication. Can you run through what you do with your client comms before, during and after? Yeah, well, like anything, communication is pretty key to success. Um, we always just talk with them, even when we're doing new jobs at the moment or current ones, we're just in communication with them about what's going on. Everyone gets it. There's not a person in the world that's not affected. So explaining it to people, they get it pretty quick. So when there's a, a cost increase, you know, we get updates from our record places every couple of weeks. Um, so we're just in communication the whole time, telling them, you know, we priced this job last November Vitex decking, we're ordering it now to lay it in November, um, but the price has also changed and we just have to invoice for that difference. That's all you can do and they understand because they don't expect you to wear the cost if you're upfront about it and sort of keep what, on top of things. What clauses are you putting into? Um, <coughs> um, it's in the master builders contract. There's a clause in there about um, price increase and change and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's all there. I mean, most people here with the certified builders and master builders. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, even if you don't, not with them, if, if you go to your client and explain it, everyone gets it. Eh? And if you talk to them and say, you know, this is the price difference, most clients will come to the party because otherwise you're going to go tits up and their job's not going to get finished and then try find a builder to finish it. Yep, 100%. It's just communication. Yep. 
So there's specific things you say at the beginning of the job, well, even before the job starts? Yeah, yeah. So we do, when we're looking at a job, um, you know, or even signing it up, you know, we just reiterate and say, obviously, you can understand what's going on with the, the economy. You know, we're in contact with our suppliers. And if there is a change in price, we have to pass that on. We do have a margin for fluctuations over the years. But, you know, when on this one job that's been going, it's going to sort of be a 14 month build. You know, our price increases have gone up hugely and we've had three or four since the start of the job. We're probably going to have another three before it's finished. Yep. Awesome. So Peter's saying in Victoria, Australia, you can't insert a rise and fall clause, whereas standard in New Zealand across contracts. So um, you can insert, there, mate? Yeah, you can insert. Think if we can give you any help or any, you know, alternative strategies around this. Um, sorry, calling to me. The um, yeah, so that's what apparently we're the one state in Australia where you can't do it. So, um, I'm, there's a seminar coming up. Um, I think Bowen's putting a big seminar up, which has been delayed by COVID about three times, with some legal stuff to try and give us some protection, but. Over here, this, the, I've been told builders are handing contracts back um, rather than build. And um, so, um, yeah, it's pretty bit, bit scary. Right. So has any, anyone got any specific potential strategies that could help Peter? Maybe once that he's already thought of, but or maybe with a different angle? Um, just, I don't know if it's an option for you, Pete, but can you do your materials on charge up? Um, we, only, we only do architectural builds and Sort of learned over the years, the only way you know what your material bill is going to be for a house is by building it, um, no matter how good you are, no matter how good your QS is. So maybe a year ago, I just changed the rules and I went, look, we only do materials on charge up and explain to clients why, and they buy it. And the first person to push back actually was an architect. Um, so I just explained it to him by saying, well, you know how you say that you can't draw every single detail? And he said, yeah, that's impossible, you know, for an architectural home. And I said, well, how am I supposed to be able to figure out what materials we need to build it if you can't even draw it? And he laughed and said, yeah, that's a good point, mate. So um, we're building his house currently with the materials on charge up. So I don't know if you can, if, if you'll get it across the board there, that, that alleviates the problem. Um, we did, we've got a good QS, does a good takeoff at the start. And we put in a PC sum saying that's what we expect the materials to be. Um, but they're going to be charged um, based on the actual cost. No, it sounds really good. Well, any other uh... Aussies want to chime in. Lloyd, Mark. Yeah, just I know they're saying they can't get a rise and fall clause in, but just just do exactly what we're doing. Just make it a prime cost for materials. So then it's it can fluctuate because that's that's stipulated in the contract. So. But it goes with that charge up on materials too. It's a great idea, but I hope we still you know expect to put our builders margin on top of that. How do you go about doing that and being transparent? I mean, if you've gone in. Some builders show their, um, their their margin, some don't. Some put in into the into the build cost, um, and then with a charge up, I always um, provide the um, the invoices and whatnot, and then I put my my margin on top. Um, how does everyone else do that? Oh, I um, think you need to turn turn that into a win. I mean, that's a great sales tactic. I mean, who doesn't like seeing the actual invoice of what that piece of wood cost you know i think if you go to a client and say right i'm going to open book all this i'm going to give you my rates plus that 10 or 15 percent margin whatever you want on your materials um i think yeah open booking it is a pretty big sales tactic really well, that's, that's the only like 
yeah, I mean, that's the only approach that I that I ever take when I'm doing charge up jobs because transparency, I mean, is paramount. I, I don't want someone coming back and saying, oh, look, this is a, there's a bill for three thousand dollars from placemakers here. Um, I don't know what it's for. Blah blah blah. They see the invoice. They um, you know, it's attached to it's attached to our actual invoice with our builder's margin on top. Yep, I think it's fair. Saying, um, guys, can I just offer what I've been doing here in Palmerston North? So um, we're we're a specialist passive house construction company. So we've had to deal with um, importing windows from Germany and all that sort of stuff and um hedging bets with the dollar and all that sort of stuff so we're currently got um three years work ahead of us in builds we've been saying to our clients this is our future build price at the beginning where this is our declared margin on the contract everything that's handled from there on in in terms of fluctuations what we've been doing is saying to them well this is our normal margin for the whole project on price increases, we're just doing 50% of that normal margin, but we're retaining our whole margin through the whole job. And for the last five years, we've declared our margin. And what started it all originally was at one of our information evenings, a client said to me, how do I know I'm getting a fair price from you when you're the only one that can do this stuff? And I said, well, I'll just declare my margin. And it doesn't take long when you show the natural retail price of a length of timber versus what you pay plus your margin for what they're getting for them, for them to get on board with that. Because, you know, if they have to go and buy it themselves, firstly, they're not going to get it. Secondly, they'll be waiting a long, long time if they can get it. So they're quite happy, you know, like they just sign up and go for it. The transparency is a really good sales tip. Yeah, and thirdly, if they supply it, they have to warranty it. So exactly. It their issue, not yours. Yeah, somebody asked before about how I work the margin into the charge up for materials. It's pretty easy because I have a PC sum, you know, say my PC sum is $80,000. Well, um, I'll have my markup applied to that in the overall contract price. And then um, at the end of the build, when we do the wash up to adjust to an actual sum, um, we put all the invoices together, scan them, deliver them to the client and say, there's all the invoices. Um, you know, the total is $90,000 or $85,000. Um, the additional cost is $5,000. And I've already got my markup on the original $80,000. Um, and then depending on the contract and the client, you know, there may or may not be a markup applied to that the additional cost. Um, but either way, the margin's already in there. So um, it doesn't really become an issue. And the other thing that I do, because I know I know clients don't understand margin and markup. And, you know, they, they just think that it's profit and they just have a vision of a builder running off laughing with a massive pile of cash in his pocket. Um, so, you know, what I'll typically do is my variation markup will be lower than my, um, you know, my pre-contract markup. So they look at the contract and they go, oh, look, you know, that's all he's applying to variations. And they probably assume that's all I've applied to the overall contract. So, um, you know, it, it's not it's not sneaky. It just saves me the hassle of trying to make a someone who knows nothing about building understand the intricacies of the financials of running a building company. Because let's face it, it's taken me 18 years to figure it out. So. I can't expect my clients to understand it in 10 minutes. And, and one of the big things too, uh, Richard, is like for all of us is that we, we're making, you might make 10, 15%, 20% maybe on materials, but you're making most of your money, especially on a charge up, on your labor, you know? So if you can throw some transparency, transparency through your materials to your client and get that trust and all that, and, and obviously, um, yeah, the majority of your money is going to be made on actual doing the job, your labour in the job, depending on what the job is, you know, that's what I've found. And I'm doing a quite a big job now, a big million dollar job. 
which is on charge up, which is really, really rare for us to do a job on charge up. But once again, the, the plans are inadequate, you know? So we've done, done this and it's, it's that full transparency. It's giving them the invoices each week, what we paid for. And, and initially at the start of the job, the client was supply, decided to supply a lot of his own stuff, you know, get his own painter and his own kitchen guy and that. After 12 weeks on the job, we're just doing the whole lot now. He just found it so easy. He'd rather pay the margin, you know, and, and just leave, it, leave us to it. He's, you've got complete trust in us, you know, and uh, we're doing a good job for him as well. So that's made it a really nice process. Yeah. Just a quick yeah. question, Russ, about that process that you're doing, because um, with us, we're used to doing the full fixed price contract materials and all with the margins on top of that. And because of the risk and the margins now, with our master builders rise and fall contract, we can't actually add that margin on top of whatever that new price is. That's what we we're told at the seminar. So I don't know, is there a tactic where you could almost work in your margin that you're going to lose and put it into more margin on your labor? Yep. Yep. I was, I was actually going to talk about that. So we've done um, a few alterations, you know, around the one and a half million dollar mark on charge up. We've even done a new build on charge up. We're in a similar level. And what I found is um, a while ago, I learned you're actually better off putting your sale, the sale price of your labor rates up and reducing your markup on your other items. Because like I said before, people just don't get it. They just don't understand the background of the financials. So they, they look at your percentage markup and think you're a, a burglar, um, but they don't actually look at your hourly rate so hard, you know, and particularly as we all know, plumbers and electricians and stuff, they, you know, their sale price for labor per hour is usually higher than a builder. So if, um, you know, you're saying to a prospective client, look, our hourly rate for our carpenters is $65 an hour or $70 an hour, they'll swallow that a lot easier than they'll swallow, if, you know, if, if you say, for example, contract 65 an hour for carpenters um, and we're going to put 8% on everything else, they will buy that a lot more readily than they'll buy $55 an hour for carpenters and 15% on everything else because they just take the contract value look at that increased percentage and go, well, that builder's, you know, he's building a house and he's getting a new jet ski, uh, a new yacht, um, you know, and a, a month in Europe with his family. They, they don't get it. So put your hourly rates up, reduce your markup, and you sell. And also look for jobs that have higher labour content. Yeah, I must do a bit of homework into, um, like how you say, Richard, you do a charge-up on materials because... Um, I can still lock in my labor figures. Obviously, I'll just put a bigger margin on it for what I'm losing materials, but I need to figure out the process of how do I attach to that estimate material takeoffs to the contract or and declare it in another um, additional clauses. I'll be pretty keen to have a chat with you anyway after this, Richard, just about that process, how you guys kind of navigate your way through that, but that'd be awesome. Yeah, ha happy to do that, mate. Um... See, what, what I do now, I actually put the QS's takeoff uh, and the quote for it into um, co-constructs and the owners see all of that. So I'll say, you know, the um, contract includes pieces of some materials um, as per the two documents attached. You know, there's a bit more detail around that. And then I have a discussion with them as well so they understand the situation. Yeah. And like I say, I've already got a markup applied to that. And because it's a PC sum, the RMB contract actually allows you to apply the margin uh, your variation margin to your PC sums when you convert them to actual costs, if you read the contract in detail. So you actually can apply the margin. Yep. I mean, you can elect not to if you don't want to for whatever reason. But Is that under a master builder's contract? Yeah, certified does as well. All right. I, I have yeah. my own uh, I have my own contract and we've just added a clause on and I've had the, my same my own contract for 10 years, you know? 
and I am a member of Master Builders with their contract, but uh, you know, like you say, sometimes your, your arms are tied a little bit. So having a con contract that works for yourself is, you know, maybe these these times are to, to start looking at that, you know? And you I, I, I simply added a clause in my contract what they signed. Would you do your own, just have your standard own guarantee on that, Russ? No, I can still do the Master Builders guarantee. I've just got my own standard contract. Right. Master Build guarantee is different from the Master Builders contract. So you can still do a Master Builders guarantee and have your own building contract. <clears throat> right. Awesome. All right. What about variations? And particularly for new builds that might be four, five, six months down the path. How are you guys factoring that in at the beginning? How are you talking about that with clients? What are you doing with regards to increase in uh, materials that you know may not have been factored in five months down the path? Yes, Zane, this probably affects you more than... Yeah, new home and land packages that we're doing. Um, nine times out of 10, we're just trying to not let them do variations. That's a bit hard to, to do that when there's clients that have the money to make the variation that will go through and try and deal with it. Um, we don't make it too cheap because we'd rather talk them out of it, to be honest, because a variation is a very, very big holdup on a project. And especially in this market at the moment, trying to get materials. We had a client recently, tiled shower, fine. All of a sudden they wanted to tile the entire bathroom wall and these tiles could take six months to turn up. So we're like, look, it's gonna get really, really expensive, this variation or you can stick to the original plan, get your house finished, move in and be happy as Larry and add your tile bath, tiled wall down the track if you want to. So really trying to talk them out of it because there's not money in variations. I can see that'd be a bit hard for guys that specialize in renovations because I guess there's almost a new variation every day. But another thing we've done is not letting clients supply any of their own materials because we are on a strict time schedule on co-construct. The last thing we want to do is be waiting four months for some special vanity that client's trying to get from overseas. So, so is that's a big, big part of when you're going through the selections phase, really managing their expectations and almost steering them towards what's available, what's... Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, we're making that sales piece really, really, really important and being very, very, very thorough and telling them that you really won't be able to make changes in the next six to 12 months because we can't get you your product. It's just not going to happen. So vanities are a biggie. We're just buying them up in advance with certain colors and certain ranges um, and just saying, look, this is it because it's just too hard to get stuff. Um, and so the problem, again, you know, get a first-time buyer, they've got a limited budget. Um, all of a sudden, they might get some money, want to change things. We're just like, look, when you sign this contract, we gave you this price based on you keeping things simple. It's your first home. Please don't overcomplicate it for yourself or us, or it's just going to drag on and get too expensive. So we've just had to tighten up our rules and be less amiable which sort of sucks because we're in a service business. You want to look after clients. But if you want to chew into your margin, yeah, slow yourself up with variations. Because what do you make, 10 or 15%? I don't know, everyone will be different. But if you know you can guarantee you're going to get 20% on your next bill that you should be starting and moving on with, with your time and resources, I'd go and focus on those. 
Awesome. And I guess we do have volume, so it's a bit tricky because it's more admin and more office people you've got to have to deal with variations. I would rather the girls be signing up a new contract where you're going to make more money than yeah, dealing with variations. Yep. Awesome. All right. I'm, I'm just conscious that we have uh, five or seven minutes left. Uh, does anyone have any other great tips that haven't been covered so far that they're working well? Either like mindset is obviously a big one. Any other tips that aren't on this or that are working well for you that you'd like to share with regards to price rises or material delays? Probably just give up building and just go and coach builders instead. Yeah, there you go. Bam. Hey, Marty, just from my point of view, mate, and I don't know how easy it is, but certainly what we're trying to encourage um, our builders to do is at the start of the process, if you know that there's products that are uh, at risk of um, potentially being delayed um, at the design stage, be prepared um, to uh, look at substitution. We've seen too many times when we've seen products specified and we'll say, look, well, we can change the, the James Hardy product to Edipan and they say, oh, shit, it'll take us three weeks or four weeks and design changes or um, whatever. So just uh, that would be one of the tips from my point of view is just be prepared to consider other alternative products um, at the start of the process because it'll um, there are alternatives always available, but often we see, we, we're finding that people won't do it because they think they can't do it. So be one thing from my point of view. Awesome. Yeah, just on that note, we've done exactly that. There's a big uh, dementia care unit that we're, we're building. It's not. It's about three point eight million dollar job. The whole building was wrapped. Uh, it was cladded in like a timber weatherboard or something. It was, just, it was someone else's architect that did it. And we came along and thought, actually, as much as we've changed it to linear on a cavity. We had the time to make the change. So we, we made the change. We probably saved the client $40,000. And we had the time to get that change, and that amendment done with council anyway. So it made us look good with the client. We're using a product that we're used to and get better deals on. Um, so that, yeah, that was a win. So it is worth it because it takes a wee while before that cladding stage comes up anyway. Awesome. I've got a question for Mr. Fairburn. Um, So you mentioned at the start of when you jumped on about March next year. Um, what what kind of processes do you, that you know that they're going to try make that stop by March or slow down? Well, speed up the um, supply. There's a few. There's a few specific things. Um, Cardholt Harvey in particular are putting uh, are putting a new plant uh, in production. It, it comes online in uh, February next year. So and they're looking to increase their timber supply in New Zealand by 50%. So that will obviously alleviate some of that, uh, those troubles. Um, they're starting to import a lot of ply in from China and from Chile. So again, we'll start to see that starting to flow through um, by the end of this year. And we're seeing other suppliers um, bringing machinery into New Zealand to increase production. So that's the reason why we are really confident we're gonna see um, a noticeable increase in supply in, in New Zealand uh, next year because the suppliers we're talking to are investing because they see this not going away in terms of demand for the next two or three years. So that's specifically what we're seeing um, from a from a supply point of view to us. Yeah, um, probably. I'll, what I want to ask: What about claddings? Is claddings still going to be an issue at that stage? Yeah. 
do you see that one speeding up or that one's just no, I think I think uh, I think the only thing we're going to see is, is as I touched on before, I think if people start uh, considering alternative, uh, uh, and I think that's what we're starting to see already, uh, it's going to be a, a drop in demand, not um, an increase in supply. The supply they're still struggling; they're trying to get product out of you know, a lot of this cladding comes obviously from offshore, um, and that's still a big a big challenge for them. So I think we're hoping that a combination of increased supply through investment. And a decrease in demand because people are using other materials will will, will drive that change. So, I think cladding is probably the one area that um, we're the most nervous about uh, in terms of ongoing supply. We're probably running currently at about sixty percent of them of of um, what we can supply, and I don't think that's going to get any better anytime uh, anytime soon. Any good uh, cladding alternatives that maybe don't have supply issues? Oh, from my point of view, there's, there's plenty. It just comes down to just, I mean, there's guys here doing architectural builds and I think it comes down to those conversations with with suppliers, um, with your clients and suppliers. So um, I think we've somehow, we're, we're in New Zealand, so we think everything should be um, weatherboard houses. Uh, I think uh, it's probably time for a bit of a, a bit of a change as best we can. All right. Okay. What I would like you guys to do now is just take a couple of minutes and write down on a bit of paper, what's the biggest golden nugget or takeaway that you can implement um, or want to explore further? Or if you've got more, if you've got two or three action points, get them written down. And then if you can type them into the box uh, and we can share some love. Now we, we will make up a check. We're going to edit this audio we're going to make up a checklist for everyone we'll turn this into a checklist and we'll give you the transcript of it uh next week would that be helpful if we turn this into a usable checklist all right scott wants to join me in coaching builders fantastic you can be our queensland rep timber as a pc item dave awesome david pre-order materials from deposit stage yep use the client's money Richard, order materials now, install them, get clients to make choices sooner so I can order products. Yeah, I really like what Zane had to say about, um, you know, smoothing out the selection stage and just making them aware of, you know, what delays can have massive impact on their whole build. Putting material costs down as a PC sum. Nick, Matt, forecasting, sounds like I need to relook at co-construct communication and storage. Yep, awesome. Just, Marty, can I jump in? Just one thing I've found with yeah, this too, sure. it's, it's a wee silver lining. It actually makes it easier to sell contracts because um, you, know, you can say to people, look, you're aware of what's happening in the market. Um, the best thing we can do to give you the most cost-effective build is to get on with it. So the sooner you sign the contract and make decisions, the sooner we can start ordering things. Um, so, you know, I've got clients who are still, still going through resource consent. They've only got, you know, draft concept plans, but they're already at the Plumbers Merchant choosing fittings and stuff. Um, so it, it's actually a sales point. Um, to help build the order books. Of course, you've you know got to get the materials to do it, but the sooner you know it's coming up, the sooner you can order them. Yeah, hundred percent. Use it as a selling tool to oh, get them moving. Absolutely. If you're proactive with it, the clients love it. I, I invoiced the client yesterday, Habas three by six thirty at night had forty four thousand dollar deposit already in the Man, bank straight away. They just you new jet ski. <laughs> the, the, the clients are all over at the moment because they've been through the whole process of of prelim drawings, plans, consent, resource consent. Now you're ready to build. They just want to build it. So they're all over at the moment. So there's no issue generally just getting a deposit invoice early, even months in advance. And just one other uh, thing to remember is when you've got all those materials and storage on site,
just double check you've got your insurance for it because there's a lot of materials, there's a lot of money. So make sure your insurance is going to cover where those materials are stored. It's quite important. Awesome. Awesome. Peter's just joined a uh, buyer's group. Uh, PC the materials of concern, get spec refined before contract. Jono's got get contracts and deposits from clients to order things before the job starts and store it. Get insurance for materials. Yeah, 100%. Like, this seems like a bit of a endemic or pandemic going on at the moment, endemic, with uh, people's tools being flogged out of their vans. So, yeah, another aspect of insurance. Manu, have the material increase conversation at prelim stage, share the merchants, increase letters for transparency. Awesome, guys. All right. Hey, Marty, hey, Marty just before you go, mate, yep. the only thing I'd also um, just um, caution is that it's not, uh, I think as I said before, it's not doom and gloom. We've still got plenty of product out there. The market is booming. Um, there is supply. And if you're well-planned and well-prepared, um, life will go on. So um, I think someone said before, we're going to get through this. It's just a matter about being uh, planned, um, communicating as often as you can to, to your merchants and there's product available. So, uh, you know, I think that's the, the key from, from, a, from a merchant point of view anyway. Awesome. Thanks, uh, Chris. Appreciate that, mate. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's all mindset and, and planning. And uh, just like in a, in a changing market, the bad builders will, you know, it'll affect them the worst. The good builders will get better and the great builders will thrive because they'll perform at, at their peak and they'll make this actually work for them. Russ, any last uh, last words? No, just um, keep smiling, keep your mindset right, keep e eating healthy, keep exercising and um, yeah, just, just enjoy it. You know, just uh, think on your feet, ask questions, communicate and um, yeah, and if you've got any tips or anything, share them with, share them with TPB so we can share them to others and we can all help each other. Uh, and, and get through this pretty awesome period, really. Let's face it, it's pretty cool. We're busy, and that's a good thing. 100%. Well said. And Zane, uh, last uh, thoughts? I agree. Make it, a, make it a challenge. Get you out of bed in the morning, right? Um, you need to get excited about the things that are going well. And like Russ says, there's money to be made. There's work to be done. It's a no-brainer. So just go and it, there's always a problem. So this is the one we've got to deal with at the moment. Could be in lockdown and doing nothing, right? So just go and sort it. Yeah, just talk to people, communicate, make it happen, get the win. Just be in the 1%. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Chris, Placemakers, Russ and License Renovations, and Zame from ZB Homes. Appreciate you guys. Awesome. Thanks Good very mate. much. You're welcome. Happy to help.